Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on another bright day in a rather deserted city of Westminster, it must be said in these current times, as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. I am Scott Challoner and I'm joined on today's programme by Matt Farrar. Matt is the CEO of Farrar and Tanner Group, headquartered in Gloucestershire. Matt, welcome to the programme and it's great to have you on the air with us on this fine day. Yeah, many thanks for having us on. Thank you for taking the time to join us, of course. Now, the purpose of this discussion, Matt, is to understand your take on leadership. So if we look at that word leader in isolation just for a moment, what does that word actually mean to you and how does it resonate? Uh, well, I think there are, there are good and bad leaders, um, but uh, and not everyone in a leading role should necessarily be there. Um, People who are leaders tend to fall to, to have been there. Um, but ultimately, I think you need drive to be a leader. Um, people assume the end game sometimes money or, or power. Or, but I think whatever the goal is, whatever you're driven by, uh, you, you know, you need ultimately to be a leader. You have to have drive. Um for me, communication is absolutely key. So uh, you need to be able to talk up and down. And by that, I mean, you might be delivering bad news to a board or an investor in the same space or in the same hour as somebody on the shop floor who's having a personal issue. So I think having a wide-ranging uh, sort of empathic vocabulary is helpful to be a good leader. Um, and... I think you have to realize that you can't do it all by yourself um, and you need to trust and rely on, on those working around you. So building the right sorts of teams is, is essential for any leader. And, this, and that's, a, that's, a good, that's a skill in itself to build teams that can deliver and work successfully together. And a huge element of that, of course, is people management, isn't it? Being able to manage and control different personalities and really get the best out of them and no one leadership approach is necessarily going to work for everybody isn't it so leaders have to be adaptable in that sense absolutely and you know flexibility there's lots of people all sorts of people are different people are very different different personalities i mean there's lots of books written on this but um you know you have to group the right sort of people together by skill sets but also by how they emotionally connect together. Um, my background is in the creative and marketing sectors within retail. I've been in retail for 20 years, but specifically in creative departments. So I think to a certain extent that can be more nuanced in terms of it's not just a question of throwing enough money at people so that you make the teams gel, you force those teams to gel. You really have to consider how they work together um, and, and build the right the right sort of mix of personalities. And if we think about your own leadership style then, Matt, how would you describe that? Well, I think going back, to, I think I'm a good communicator. Um, I think, as I say, I've led, I've led a lot of creative teams. They can be challenging. Uh, people want different things. Um, I'd say I'm an inclusive leader. Uh, you know, I like to get involved. 
but I like uh, the teams to to be empowered enough to deliver on their own terms. They need to understand why they're doing something and what what the what the aim is of the project, uh, and they need to buy into it. <clears throat> so part of it is building the framework for that, and then allowing them to deliver that. And I, I don't know what sort of leader you'd call that, but that's that's I suppose inclusive. I, I would say it. I would imagine so, uh, for sure. And um, that form of leadership where everybody knows that their voice is valued and therefore have the confidence to come forward with ideas is um, incredibly um, important because in that sense, it's far easier to take people with you, which is important in leadership, isn't it? Particularly in the context of these current times where leaders need individuals to be going above and beyond during the COVID-19 pandemic to keep things ticking over. Yeah, I think at the moment people are looking for a bit of stability in their lives. It's it's been deeply unsettling the last few weeks. Um, we're fortunate as an online retailer. Um, we've seen sales increase on fire antenna as people stay home and order more online. But you know, my my heart goes out to those business people in events and in uh, you know the sort of restaurant trades and those sort of trades. They're really, really struggling through this crisis and I think may continue to do so for some time. So the businesses are struggling. The business leaders are struggling. They're making some difficult decisions. Um, And I think this whole crisis has pushed world leaders, business leaders, into making some really difficult decisions, Um, including prime ministers made some, some critical economic decisions in the last, a couple of months, really hard, really tough decisions to make. Um, and I think we'll, we will come out of it. And, you know, I'm hopeful we're starting to eke out of this crisis. Um, but uh, we need good leadership. We need good leadership from business leaders and from politicians. Um, and they need to lead by example. We do. That's absolutely uh, right. We do need politicians and business uh, to be able to step up. And that's where, of course, adaptability and innovation will really come to the fore. But I think there are some positives to take from this experience in the sense that people are being thrust out of their comfort zones. Leaders are having to deal with crisis management, perhaps some for the first time. And that is very important in breeding character, breeding resilience and also developing oneself, isn't it? So there are positives to be taken from that. There are absolutely, and I think the businesses that um, will succeed and grow through this, and there will be businesses that, you know, increase uh, profits, increase turnover, make the best of it and adapt. You know, they're the businesses that we'll see in five or ten years. Uh, successful and, and, and emerging from this. Um, I think um, what you say um, is um, exactly uh, right. And if we think about um, for a moment... Um, the reaction that has really come from this, how it's really brought everybody together this uh, current period and how we've seen so many fantastic stories of individuals within business going above and beyond, not just uh, within um, work, but also within the community. Have you yourself been inspired by what you have seen during this time, both from your own business and from what's going on in other sectors? Um, I, I think inspired... You know, it's, it's, it's been great to see people come together uh, and, you know, by and large, the population uh, have, you know, they've come together on this. 
uh, we've been given instructions to, to sort of lock the door, stay in, and people have done that. And, you know, um, it's ultimately it's very challenging, and it's challenging for small, medium businesses. Um, and you know, we'll we'll see we'll see some some strong uh, changes. I think that that will will outlast this this uh, crisis. Uh, and changes to how business operates, changes to how people shop, shopping habits. Um, so, so yeah, I think I think it will change. We'll certainly see some uh, changes um, in the uh, the future in the way that we fundamentally do business. But if we think about the the past for a moment, uh, Matt, if you have drawn some inspiration from the response that you've seen from staff and um, others, what sort of other inspirations have you sort of? taken throughout um, your career is there anybody that has really stuck out as you've developed that's maybe had a profound influence on the way that you view leadership and your own leadership style yeah I think that um, strangely enough I've, I've kind of preferred the more anarchic leaders that uh, have come across uh, and probably you know in my youth that being influenced by people who you know, leaders who who you could feel that they that they, they had the power to create change, and as a, as a young person and someone growing up, you really need someone to come along and say to you, you know, you can be whoever you want to be, you can create whatever you want to do, as long as you've got the drive and the ambition to do it. And sometimes you just need somebody to tell you that. And sometimes those leaders uh, who as I said, this is the one I'm thinking of is quite anarchic, but you know, he there were there were no limits to what you could achieve and I think he created a space in the workplace where anything was possible. It was a very creative environment and, you know, we delivered really good creative uh projects off the back of it. And I think it was it was down to his leadership skills. Really interesting example. And I think just giving people that confidence um, to really thrive creatively uh, makes them a massive difference. It goes to show that some of the most influential people out there can be those leaders that are closest to us, people that we encounter in work every single day, people who are mentors, people who are maybe parents, family members, those sorts of people. And I think sometimes, given that they often go about their work quite quietly, we sometimes perhaps don't recognise those sorts of leaders perhaps as much as we should do and instead associate it with more politics or celebrity or being in the public eye. Is that something that you would agree with, Matt, that maybe we don't recognise leaders like that in the business world quite enough? Well, you know, there, there are lots of people out there. There are lots of people leading small businesses, leading medium-sized businesses um, who, you know, they all need respect and they all need it's amazing. They're not particularly glamorous, are they? So there's nothing newsworthy about them, but they're quietly beavering away and, you know, they're creating an economy, they're creating jobs and they are, you know, they're supporting people. Um, And and really, those are the people we need to get back. You know, we need to get those people back into work and businesses open again uh, and, and get the economy ticking over again. And if we do focus on the uh, the future um, in that respect, um, if we think about Farrow and Tanner Group now, what do you envision the next 12 months holding for yourself and for the business as we move through this current COVID-19 pandemic and hopefully out of the other side and toward the future? 
Well, as an online retailer, we've seen through this crisis that we've seen we've seen huge growth. Um, so people sitting at home, sitting in the garden, order online, unable to go to the shop, uh, or they want to send a sentimental gift uh, to someone they can't visit. So because we can personalize products, people can put quite personal messages uh, and have them delivered, you know, without actually, you know, having a face-to-face. So we've, we've seen a huge uptick. Uh, will it end? Um, it's very difficult to say. It's very difficult to predict. Um, you know, we're seeing some products that we wouldn't have sold very well uh, having huge spikes. Um, and others where they're more events-based, dropping off. Um, so it's very, very difficult to predict how people will shop. But I do feel that, um, to a certain extent, it's not going to be the same shopping in town centers and online retail is going to grow. Um, we, you know, it was growing anyway. And, and I think this will sort of shuffle it along a few years. Um, because, you know, if you go into town, you may have to queue to get in the shops. You may have to queue to get in, you know, to uh, changing rooms. You may not be allowed to, to try on clothing. So, you know, the whole dynamic of how we shop will shift um, because of this, because of the nature of this virus. So we're, we're planning to have uh, increased stock, increased sales. But against the backdrop that we need to uh, create enough space for staff to be socially distancing and for us to take the, the correct safety measures in house. It's certainly going to be interesting just to see what this new normal is really going to look like, as uh, you say there, Matt. And I think given how informative it's been having you on uh, today's programme with us, I think it would be great in the next year to actually catch up and have you back on the air with us just to really see what that new normal is developing into and maybe catch up on how the uh, the group itself is uh, getting on as well. Yeah, that'd be absolutely fine. I mean, in 12 months, who knows where we'll be. Exactly right. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty, but hopefully also um, a great deal of optimism for how business is really innovating as well. And hopefully it can continue to thrive even in these challenging times. Um, Matt, I have to say, it's been a real pleasure having you on uh, today's programme. And thank you again for uh, your time in joining us. And do take care and do stay safe with everything still going on. All right. Many that was Matt Farrar, CEO of Farrar and Tanner Group. Coming up next on the programme today, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 Football World Cup hero, Sir Jeff Hurst. During his professional football career, Sir Jeff scored over 200 league goals during um, that career for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City. But most notably, he remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup competition after his treble in England's 4-2 victory over West Germany at the old Wembley Stadium 54 long years ago now. I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Sir Jeff and that's coming up next. Uh, We're now joined uh, though by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, Thank you very much for coming on today. uh, You're welcome, you're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. 
Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where... Um, so Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd work with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach, as we had in Ron Greenwood, and of course, a great manager in Sir Ralph Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the calibre of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. And what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me. He graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly all walks of life. Leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. 
and you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved with my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, especially with South Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who, who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a, a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time at maybe overly strict by the time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn suit and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organization, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious things I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising they were not. There was no necessary reason for it, but looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing. In, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. so mm. I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough 
to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back into it because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Lee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think Mm. I was just happy to be, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back out, mm. so I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about. People talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out. The squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players. Um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm I'm not making this up. I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. There's too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, "Yes, I was just about to to shoot to score the goal, and I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch.' So that uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke and make a joke about that, and saying, "Yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, but just had a, had a glance round, you know." Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you too. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stu- stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely. But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience. 
at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden I had a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is- uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. But then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it, it, uh, um, it did but make then again, laugh if you laugh If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think um, you, you were a young man when see this happened when you must have realized that people teammates began looking at you for leadership um is that something that occurred to you or did you just realize that by by quick one way or the other people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration well possibly that's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now quite frankly that's a new a new question mm. does anybody look up to me I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. No, um, well, it, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a, in a natural leader? Um. Well, a play, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude. is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but... There's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just... Luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today, uh, e- easily. 
easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson, who just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, because Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood. Yeah, the answer, straightforward answer, is yes. Um, they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England. Who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we we're successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And going back from an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, uh, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and- when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great players. We have some great players, of course. But without the attitude (laughs) alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. the word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, Jeff, uh, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? 
single mindedness, single mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But it, you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not uh, there's, they will not switch off for for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and. Uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.